on FM, on DAB, and up to date on social media. We are Radio Newark. Radio Brian Adams there, and when you're gone. Well, I hope you're not gone. I hope you're still sitting there listening to us here on Girls Around Town. Because apart from anything else, our guest has arrived. Graham yeah. Keel is in the studio. Good morning, Graham. Morning. Morning, everybody. Thank you for coming. Of course, you've been here before, so you knew where you... I'm, I'm, I'm being cheeky here, because I was going <laughs> to say, you knew where you were going or well, coming. sort of, Jim. Yes. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> but you found us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Graham, we're going to talk in detail a little bit later on about... Um, a very special um, memory from the 60s, a very special person from the 60s. But before that, just very, very quickly, before we go up to the news in a little while, remind us of your background. Tell us, um, you, you, we, you told us a bit about it before, but I'm sure there are people there who either can't remember or who weren't listeners well, in those I, days. I still call myself a journalist. I, I do mostly PR for uh, companies and councils and so on these days, but uh, really I've been a journalist for 40-odd years and uh, when I was a trainee back in 1975 I interviewed Eric Morecambe when he came to RF Cramwell for a charity cricket match and it was such a wonderful experience I suppose that gave me a bit of a taste for it and I ended up specialising in that kind of journalism so for 35 years all I did was write about TV and interview people from TV and the occasional film star and the occasional pop star and some very very familiar names I mean obviously Eric Morecambe um, is a, a fairly well a very familiar name yeah. but some others from from different areas of, oh, of yeah. showbiz and, and ce real celebrities not what they call celebrities well, uh, these uh, days the two people I've done most often are David Attenborough and Rick Stein so uh, they're uh, obviously you, very popular you, in their you can't fields. get much, much higher than no. Mr Attenborough can you <laughs> well I, I do a talk featuring both of those uh, called Oprah Winfrey touched my elbow and uh, which she did back in 1988, a long time ago. So I'm still trading <laughs> still off not that. Washed uh, it? <laughs> still not washed it. No, no, wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> so um, just tell us one or two other people that you've interviewed that, pe that names that might ring uh, bells for people. Well, I did uh, Liz Hurley when she had her first starring role on TV in a film called a TV film called Christabel, and uh, it's not that well remembered now. But it was Dennis no. Potter who was the top dog mm. in TV drama mm. at the time. Uh, it didn't get great reviews, but uh, that's memorable mainly for how little she was wearing at the press, uh, <laughs> press launch. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, was it that dress? It the was one five years the... before that dress. Oh, right, so but, it wasn't um, the safety pin dress. The the neckline of the tiny micro, uh, <laughs> micro dress she was wearing, very clinging red knitted micro dress, and it plunged so precipitously down towards her navel, it almost met the rising tide of the hemline <laughs> coming up towards her... Uh, well, let's not go any further, but uh, <laughs> it was very distracting, but uh, but not, not unpleasant. I mean, she was a gorgeous girl. Yeah, uh, and, and a wonderful and actress is. as well. Yes, absolutely. And um, certainly carries off uh, that kind of outfit yeah. extremely well. I did, funnily enough, I did describe her outfit, and it, it got me into trouble. I just remember <laughs> five years ahead of that dress, and uh, uh, I used to syndicate my features to different papers around the country and the Bradford Telegraph and Argus, the sub-editor, refused to use the feature because I'd gone into detail about this uh, very sexy, very oh revealing dear. dress. Oh dear, oh dear. So, uh, <laughs> there we go. Well, you're listening to the Girls Around Town here on this Sunday morning. We have about two minutes until we go up to the news at 11am. So just very, very quickly to... Um, bring graham back in where well, he hasn't Hi. been anywhere obviously um ha. but we've just been chatting so graham tell us just 
very, very, very briefly about your trip to LA because everybody ah. knows I've been talking about LA earlier. <laughs> well, I brought a couple of uh, folders in which your listeners can't see, but you can have a look at later of uh, CSI because I uh, uh, got a phone call uh, uh, some years ago, over a decade ago now, from Channel 5's press office saying, Would I be interested in spending five nights, all expenses paid, in uh, Hollywood? interviewing the cast of their new hit CSI. I so, bet that was you know, a difficult decision. Well, do you know, I actually asked for 24 hours to think it over, <laughs> because, really, uh, <laughs> bizarrely, and I told my wife I think I'll have to turn it down, because it was coming up to Christmas, and it's the busiest period for a showbiz journalist. Absolutely. You know, Christmas yeah. and New Year, you're just working flat out seven days a week. I said, how can I possibly go away at this time uh, and still manage all my deadlines and keep my customers happy? And she said, oh, you'll do it somehow. You can't turn this down. Trip of a lifetime. So I went, and I'm so glad I did, because it was. It was just fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'd really hoped that I would have been able to go to L.A. to um, see the fight live last night. Yeah. Um, but um, obviously I had to be here this morning. Huh. So, you know, Quite. so I wouldn't have been able to get back in time. So... <laughs> um, because first things first. It's, it's one of the places I've always fancied visiting, um, particularly because um, there's a place called Rodeo Drive there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. And I've always wanted to do the um, Julia Roberts thing huh. and walk into um, those beautiful stores, preferably with Mr. Gear's credit card, of course, <laughs> <laughs> which is perhaps a little bit out of... Uh, well, no, it's not yeah. going to happen, is it? You're listening to Radio Note with the girls around town this Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, and also April Fool's Day, of course. We have uh, mm. just under an hour left to get caught out. Fingers crossed um, I'll be okay. I'm fairly safe in here. Hopefully you haven't been um, conned into anything while you've um, been enjoying this Sunday morning. So, um, my guest in the studio this morning is Graham Keel. Hi former showbiz journalist um, and still a journalist in, in many ways, still um, keeping it up, um, so to speak. <laughs> We've been talking about some of the um, personalities, briefly talking about some of the personalities and, and um, what um, I would call proper celebrities because um, there are so many of them these days that really aren't, aren't there? Yes, quite. <laughs> some of the, the, uh, the um, big names that Graham has interviewed um, over the years. One of them in particular, um, I think his first interview was 20 years ago and I think if I remember rightly from the information that I've read, it was when he was working for the North Ants Evening Telegraph. So, um, he has um, spoken to that guy again quite recently. We'll come on to that in a while. Uh, Graham, tell us a little bit first about your first interview with Frank Ivefield. Well, it was a bit more than 20 years ago, actually, June, because it would be... I can't remember exactly, but it, would, it must have been either 1980 or 1981. And uh, I was 11 years old when Frank Ivefield first went to number one with I Remember You, and uh, uh, he had three number ones in succession. He was the first British-based because he, he grew up in Australia, but he was born in Britain, and he was back in Britain at the time. Came from First, Coventry, was it? He was born near Coventry. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, they were both. I only realised when I interviewed him that both his parents were Australian, and they were only over here for work. Uh, <laughs> so uh, he is he is Australian, really. He just happened to be in Coventry uh, when he <laughs> came along. Um, so when he was uh, about, I think, eight or nine years old, they went back to Australia, and he grew up there. Uh, but uh, from the age of, uh, I think, uh, 13... He won a talent contest and became a, a national star in Australia. And when he'd done everything he could do in Australia and had, uh, I think he'd made 40 recordings by then, he came over to Britain aged about 22 in 1959 and uh, tried to make it, make his uh, name here. 
which he succeeded in doing. And I remember you was uh, number one for, I think, about 12 weeks. And then he had uh, three in succession, first UK-based artist to ever have three number ones in, in a row. And uh, he had a fourth number one within a year with Confessing, uh, I'm Confessing. So uh, lots and lots of hits. Uh, I think he's got 17 chart entries in the Guinness Book altogether. Some of them are re-entries, but sure, it's yeah, a lot of hits. Yeah. And I think I read somewhere that um, he was the first UK artist, first artist to have sell a million. That's oh, right. That, that I remember you, because I, I do remember, I remember you, of course. Um, and I remember Frank Ifield very, very well. Um, that was the first disc to sell a million yeah. in the UK alone. That's right. And, um, and it also charted really big in America. It was the first Australian to have a number one in America. Uh, it was number one in the country charts, and uh, I think also in easy listening charts. But it only got to number five, I think, in the uh, in the main chart. But even so, it was very big news for an Australian artist back then. So, how did your um, your interview with him twenty plus years ago come up then? It, well, it went great. Uh, Frank was appearing. Uh, I was TV editor of the North Sydney Telegraph, based in Kettering, and uh, if anybody came nearby uh, to Kettering or to any of the towns around Northampton or Bedford or anywhere like that uh, of interest I'd go and interview them and uh, he, Frank was appearing at the Kettering Granada Bingo and Social Club not quite the O2 arena but you know that's where his <laughs> career was 18 years or so after his main hits and uh, he gave a great show uh, I was pleasantly surprised by just how note perfect he was because I thought it was fairly clear from the way he introduced the numbers that uh, he'd, had a, he'd had a few sherbets, as my mm. old friend used to say. <laughs> <laughs> and he was still uh, he was still having a, a large glass of white wine when I interviewed him after the show, and he seemed to be swaying gently in that wayward wind he'd just been <laughs> singing about. But he was a lovely guy, great, great guy, and, uh, and, and had done a great show. I'm not sure the, uh, the bingo crowd really appreciated it. I think, you know, there was a full house, but I think there were no pun intended. I think they were there for the bingo rather than for Frank. <laughs> And funnily enough, when I interviewed him just this last Monday, he was in Australia, I just had a phone call interview with him, uh, he remembered that gig. I didn't think he would. It's so long ago and he did so many, you know, but he remembers it as being particularly awful because they couldn't wait to get back to the bingo. <laughs> so, now, now he's, um, he's in his 80s now, I think, is he's he not? He's turned 80 last yeah, November, yeah. yeah. So, and, and back in Australia, based in Australia. Yeah. Um, so... Um, obviously, you didn't just nip over there to interview no. him earlier in the week. It was it was what what we in the trade call a phoner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, how excited is he about coming back to New York? He's really looking forward to it. He, he's, I mean, he doesn't need to do this anymore, but he, he loves to do it. He loves to meet his fans and meet his audience. And because he's got lots of stories, even if you're not a Frank Ifield fan, uh, lots of stories. That he gave the Beatles one of their first big breaks, and uh, he he used to live. Uh, I mentioned Eric Morecambe earlier on. They were neighbours in Harpenden in Hertfordshire where Eric Morecambe lived and it was Eric, he told me on Monday, he told me that uh, it was Eric uh, who got him to go and move to Harpenden because he said they've got used to me being around, they're, they're blasé about celebrities now so you won't get any problems, you won't be stopped all the time, you'll have peace and quiet, they'll leave you alone. So he moved to Harmondon and was a neighbour of Eric's for years. Your mentioning the Beatles is um, uh, uh, quite appropriate. I, uh, one, of, one of my um, colleagues here on Radio Newark is, is Doug Hall and Doug is a big 60s fan. Right. If there is anything to be known about the 60s, Dougie knows. Huh. So obviously I, I sent him a quick message um, to bring this um, upcoming event to his attention and the reply I got back was ask him about the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we'll talk about that in a little while, sure. I think.
We've been talking about his background as a showbiz journalist and also um, his first and um, most recent, um, with good 20 years between the two, interviews with Frank Ifield. So, we've also um, briefly touched on Frank's career, uh, for those of you that don't go back quite as far as Graham and I do. Um, and... Uh, I think I think I've got the edge on you, Graham, and <laughs> a few extra years, just just a few. Not many. Um, we're, we're pretty close in in um, in age, I think. So we we remember the sixties, to Graham and I. Um, if you don't remember the sixties, you'd probably be very very familiar with a lot of the music, of course. Um, starting obviously with the Beatles. Who who doesn't remember the Beatles? Or who doesn't know the Beatles' music? Ah. Um, but it's all about Frank Ifield um, for the rest of the show. Um, Graham is going to explain, first of all, how he found out that Frank wasn't planning to come to not only Newark, but the East Midlands on his yes. current tour, and what he did about it. Over to you, Graham. Well, I uh, I do these talks, Oprah Winfrey Touched My Elbow, where I reminisce, uh, and a couple of other talks as well, but I, I reminisce about my 35 years as a showbiz reporter and uh, talk about some of the funny encounters with different celebrities. And, uh, and I have this story about having interviewed Frank Eiffel when he was a little bit uh, merry, uh, and I get a few laughs out of that. And uh, I, every now and again, I'll check his website and make sure that what I'm saying is still true, that he's still going strong, still touring, still performing. And uh, I checked out his website before I did the talk uh, in uh, Bingham a couple of weeks ago, uh, or three weeks ago now. And uh, sure enough, he was uh, large as life on his website, still looking good, still performing, and I saw about to tour in May uh, in the UK. And it was a 15-day tour, uh, the biggest he's done for some years, as far as I know. But he wasn't coming anywhere near here. The nearest was, uh, there was one East Midlands gig at Northampton, but not doing Nottingham, not doing Leicester, Derby, Lincoln, or Newark for that matter. <laughs> Uh, nowhere, anywhere near. Coventry was the uh, the one his management suggested when I emailed him to say, why no gigs in the East Midlands? And uh, it turned out that most theatre managers these days are too young to remember Frank and, uh, and the, all of his hits, so uh, nobody was interested in booking him. And I said, well, I could, I could ask the Palace for you. And they said, oh, it's too late to fit in another theatre gig now. It's too, just too late to organise it. We could do a Frank Ifield spills the, be spills the Beans dinner, where he tells all the stories he can't tell in his theatre shows <laughs> uh, about all the pop stars that he mingled with and, uh, you know, was friends with. He was friends with, uh, not only gave the Beatles an early break, but uh, he was a good friend of Roy Orbison's. He was friends with the Everly Brothers. Uh, saw them. friend and neighbour of Eric Morecambe and, uh, as well as Pop, it was showbiz people so uh, lots and lots of stories uh, are going to come out in the wash on this evening because uh, uh, I suggested that uh, I would organise one uh, on a voluntary basis if, uh, if, they would come to, if he would come to Newark so uh, the only dates they could do, there were only two dates that they could fit it in. One date I was coming back from holiday in Italy. The other date was May 22nd. So on May 22nd, we're holding a Frank Ifield Spills the, Be Spills the Beans dinner at uh, Carriages Cafe on Newark Castle Station. And it's a three-course meal, uh, free drink on arrival, and, uh, and all the stories Frank cares to tell us. It's a very intimate event with just 40 uh, places available. That's counting Frank and me and... <laughs> team so um there are only 30 odd tickets uh, up for grabs and some of them have gone already so uh, if anybody is interested in spending an evening with frank ifield you know a 60s icon million selling uh, hit maker who knew all the Be knew the beatles and all the other pop stars 
uh, and has the stories to match then if they can email me graham at keelmedia.uk that's k-e-a-l media.uk uh, I'll be happy to fill them in on the rest of the details. So now, um, you, you had a little bit of help finding your venue, didn't you? Um, the advertiser um, yes. came up with a with a story. Well, well, you came up with the story and the advertiser very kindly printed That's it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, carriages weren't the only... Well, we, we, we don't need to go into the details of who, who else, but you, you've got um, a, a pretty good response from local venues, didn't you? Yes, I did, yes. I, I, I'm not sure if it was four or five in the end, but uh, I'm sure everybody would have done a, a great job, but... Uh, carriages uh, somebody took me off about carriages and uh, uh and i talked to them before i talked to any of the others and uh well it was uh, it just seemed perfect it was a nice lo a lovely building lovely room they came up with a great menu and uh it's all been fixed up so uh, may 22nd that's where we'll be oh, yes I, I totally agree about carriages it's a lovely place and, yeah, and um, yeah, delightful. Uh, as i was telling you while we were listening to a little bit of music they're up for a nomination in the um, nottinghamshire food and they're up yeah they're nominated right um in the nottinghamshire food and drink awards that are coming up soon um fingers crossed huh. that, that it's best ven best new venue yeah so um something to something extra to put newark on the map yes quite. Um, and um well deserved as well it is it is a super it's lovely to see um beautiful buildings like that being brought back to yeah. life in our town absolutely it's been, it's been um lost to the public for, for quite and a long time it's been very time, successful i think i mean when Indeed. i was i went in there to see wendy to uh, to organize this uh, evening and uh it was uh, about half ten on a Saturday morning and it was just getting busier and busier the longer <laughs> I stayed there. <laughs> well, Wendy and Susie have been on the show once already and they are coming back again fairly soon to talk to us about um, what's going on down there because they're very much involved with the community as well, aren't yeah. they? So yes, yeah. um, we will be catching up with them um, when they uh, come back. I can't remember exactly when it is, but they are in the studio in the not-too-distant future again. Jimmy Ruffin there and what becomes of the brokenhearted. Well, Graham and I are getting um, ever closer towards the end of the show, but we've still got a few things to talk about um, before we um, both head off for our Easter Sunday lunches uh -huh. or our Easter eggs or whatever it might be. Um, while we were listening to that Jimmy, well, while you were listening to that Jimmy Ruffin show, Graham was um, telling me um, a little bit about Frank's interaction with the Beatles. Perhaps you'd like yeah. to share that, Graham. Sure, uh, June. Uh, well, uh, Frank was telling me uh, uh, on Monday when I uh, did this interview with him that uh, back in six, 1962 he was appearing in Liverpool uh, I think it was Liverpool Empire I'm not sure if that's the right name of the theatre but anyway it was a big theatre in Liverpool doing his uh, touring show of uh, one night stands and um, uh, he had a visitor and he was told a Mr Einstein had come to see him <laughs> uh, turned out to be Brian Epstein of course and he wanted to uh, Frank to give the Beatles a chance of supporting him at that night's show they weren't going to get a fee or anything it was just to expose them to a new audience and try and get them on the same circuit as frank ifield to give them some uh, fame outside of liverpool so frank agreed and uh, they opened the show uh didn't go down well because the, the audience were expecting a kind of country music not not this new abrasive rock music and uh, they weren't popular with the audience but frank thought they were great and bizarrely uh in australia his uh, recording company over there uh, obviously they got tracks by him they would got some tracks by the Beatles in their early days and they released a joint album called Jolly Watt to try and cash in <laughs> this was about a year later to try and cash in on this new rock group that had suddenly uh, shot to fame 
and uh, and so they had this joint album out, Frank Highfield and the Beatles, which hardly anybody in this country knows about. And this. what a brilliant title! <laughs> yeah, yeah, bizarre, bizarre. I'm sure that's that's how a lot of um, colonials think we Brits talk, yeah, don't you? Quite. Don't they? <laughs> yeah, not not many people in Liverpool talk like that. No, no. Having lived up there myself and um, been obviously not in, I. I I saw the Beatles live here in ah. Nottingham ah, um, in the very early days, um, early 60s, 63 maybe when they were touring. Um, I screamed myself hoarse um, <laughs> for a, a couple of hours at what was in those days the Odeon Cinema. Um, a few years later I moved up to Liverpool, that's where I was at university, so um, I was um, relatively regular visitors to the cavern, but it wasn't no. it wasn't the Beatles cavern no. any longer, I mean they were... They were um, uh, off to pastures new by then. Well, I grew up in Lincoln and the Beatles were coming to Lincoln but Jerry and the Pacemakers were also coming and the Beatles and Jerry and the Pacemakers were both having number one hit after number one hit at the time and I was fan a fan of both so my pocket money would only go so far and it was 12 <laughs> and sixpence that's uh, what uh, about 55p or something uh, to uh, to go and see one of these shows and uh, I could do one or the other and I chose Jerry and the Pacemakers <laughs> Now, they did a great show, but I've always obviously regressed mm -hmm. it. But the difference was I could actually hear Jerry and the Pacemakers and Del Shannon, who was also on the bill, and The Bachelors, of all people. Uh, but uh, I don't think many people heard the Beatles when they came. No, indeed not. And, and, and I know that I was certainly hoarse for several days <laughs> afterwards. Um, it was at a time when they were they were obviously um, sort of just coming into the real height yeah. of their popularity. And they did two shows at the Odeon on yeah. that particular night. I, I seem to remember it was in a December. <laughs> Can't remember how much it cost, but they were expecting the the, the organisers, the um, the promoters, whatever, were expecting such a massive response that they actually did it as a lottery ah. um so you still had you, you, you know you're still paying for your ticket um but um you went into a draw and i yeah. never ever win things <laughs> um and i want i was a bit disappointed that i got the early <coughs> showing i would have yeah. quite liked because i was 13 14 ish by then and i kind of would have liked to have been grown up and gone yeah. to the late one <laughs> um i mean it wasn't that early i think it was probably six o'clock at night or something yeah. but yes um we didn't hear uh, huh. but I, actually it, it's surprising how much you can hear in a way you know you still yeah. can hear the music but um there was an awful lot of screaming huh. going on who was your favorite oh george always oh, right, george right. yes yes huh. um there was never any doubt about it huh. um i love george um and um the, the, the one thing that sticks in my mind as well, the guy who, there was a bloke sitting next to me, not not somebody I knew, I was there on my own, guy sitting next to me, and he was probably, the I'm sure, the only person in that auditorium that, A, didn't jump up and down, but ha. B, never opened his mouth. Ah. You know, he wasn't screaming like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> but he seemed no. to be enjoying it right, all the same. Good. So, um, now... This conversation that you had with Frank on yeah. Monday, I think you said it was, um, are we going to be able to persuade you to give us any kind of hint about um, some of the secrets that Frank is going to Well, Frank was revealing? pretty good at keeping his powder dry, and he said, <laughs> you'll have to turn up on the night. He did tell me, though, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't dare mention the fact that uh, he seemed a little, a little bit, uh, not worse for wear as far as his performance went, but a little bit well-oiled when I interviewed him. <laughs> So I said, you've never fallen prey, because he's still going strong at 80, he'd never fallen prey to the drinks and the, mm, dr the mm, drink and mm. the drug problems that afflict so many and end so many pop, pop stars' lives prematurely. 
Uh, and he did say he only ever went on stage, in his terms, uh, drunk once. And that was in Nottingham, funnily enough, <laughs> uh, in the late 60s or early 70s. And uh, the brother of his musical director took him out deliberately to try and get him drunk, he said, and, uh, and succeeded. And he didn't know how he was going to do the show. And the musical director was absolutely furious with both of them. But anyway, he did the show, thought he, it was the worst show he'd ever done and, and told himself he'd never do that again, uh, never go on stage drunk again, and uh, thought it was a disaster, the show. But years, years later, uh, somebody came up to him and remembered that, re reminded him about the show and said they'd been there and uh, they said he was wonderful. So, uh, who knows? Who knows? Perhaps he just enhanced his performance. Absolutely. Well, who knows? I mean, I've been saying all morning that, you know, I'm absolutely exhausted and my head's not in, in the right place. Not to, maybe... Um, and that I was feeling as though I was slightly drunk. I'm not. I hasten <laughs> to add, I am not drunk in in charge of a a, a radio desk. But maybe um, feeling a bit spaced out as, as yes, yeah, help me. You <clears throat> know, I could have been <laughs> ever more. It could just be though um, that I am sitting here opposite um, a very experienced interview interviewer, <laughs> or um, in his own right. So we are sort of bouncing off each other quite nicely, <laughs> aren't we? The Commodores there and Easy Like Sunday Morning should be our theme song, I think, for um, this particular show. Now, we have literally a minute and a half left before we have to go up to the news and then hand over to Craig. So, um, Graham is just going to very, very quickly remind us um, what, where, when and how to get the tickets for the um, Spilling the Beans dinner. Yeah. Well, it's uh, Frank Ifield, dinner with Frank Ifield, a 1960s million-selling uh, pop icon. And uh, if you're interested in tickets or to find out more details, uh, do email me. It's Graham Keel, uh, sorry, um, Graham at Keel Media. That's K E A L Media dot UK. Graham at Keel Media dot UK. And I'll send you all the details uh, uh, and tickets and uh, what have you. And but uh, it so should be a great night. It's May the 22nd. May the 22nd. The at Carriages. 7 30 in the evening yeah. at Carriages mm -hmm. Cafe on uh, Newark Castle Station. So parking right on your doorstep. Yeah. And. Um, a three-course meal, I remember, if I remember. Three-course right. meal with yep. uh, Prosecco or Books Fizz on arrival as well, all complimentary. Well, not all complimentary, <laughs> but the drinks are complimentary. Uh, just a little bonus. Sounds absolutely fantastic. Graham. thank you very much indeed for coming in. Thanks for having um, me. Pleasure. And I hope it all goes extremely well. I'm going to try and shuffle my diary around if I possibly can to Great be there. Stuff. So we are literally out of time now. Just time to remind you that, or to tell you that next week, um, Rosalind Palmer, our wellbeing guru, will be here with me in the studio. And our guest will be Linda Booth, also known as the Tommy Queen. We'll be talking about um, tackling tummy troubles next week. So stay tuned for Craig. I will see you next Sunday morning. We